For those of you that have already heard the sermon, the podcast begins at about 15 minutes and 45 seconds. You can stay if you stay. We're liable. We're liable to keep picking. So. Salt spray. That'll be the first time the cops ever show up to a church service. Right? <laughs> you guys keep it down. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it, what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our hearts that they might be wild. And then, oh God, open our hands that we might serve. In the spring of 2010, I decided to answer a call to the ministry. What I needed to do before I could go to school to become a pastor was finish my undergrad. So I went back to school to finish my undergraduate degree and got done with that two weeks before I started seminary in the fall of 2011. From 2011 to 2014, I worked hard to earn what I needed to to become a pastor. And in 2014, I graduated from seminary. I remember seminary graduation at St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Highlands Ranch. I remember the last song we sang. It was from our hymnal, and you've probably heard it. Here I am, Lord. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry. All who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. Of course, hearing that song brought me to tears. It brought us all to tears because that is exactly what we were doing. We had heard our call and we were being sent We had heard a call. We had poured ourselves into learning about scripture. We had poured ourselves into learning about history and the world and brokenness and deeply understanding the world around us. And now, now it was time to go out, to be sent into the world, to bring that love, that knowledge, our whole hearts into our calling. Jesus says this about serving in the gospel of Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 25. Jesus called the disciples to him and said, you know that the rulers of of the Gentiles lord it over them 
and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a a ransom for many. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of this word. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. If you are someone that lives their life in service to God and God's love, would that tell the world that you're a disciple? If every single day you performed five acts of kindness, if you turned towards love and helping and serving, would that shape you more and more into a deeply committed disciple? Would it deepen your relationship with the one that created you, redeemed you, sustained you? If you served every day for five times a day, would it tell the world that this journey of faith matters to you? As we travel through Lent, we are together examining those practices that we put in place in our lives day after day that shape us, form us, create us into deeply committed disciples of Christ. I'm going to say this again this week because I think I need to say this every week of this sermon series. These practices are not a way to earn God's love or forgiveness or a way into heaven. These practices are a response to the God that already loves you, you, right where you are. They are a way to grow to understand how deep and wide and powerful that love for you already is. They are tools that help us become so people so deeply formed by the love of God, so confident in the love we know that fear is cast out. And others then experience a glimpse of God's love through us. In one of my favorite books on habits, Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about different levels or layers of change. The first layer is changing your outcomes. The level is con- this level is concerned with changing your results. Losing weight, publishing a book, winning a championship, following Christ, Most of the goals we set in life are associated with this level of change. The second layer is changing your process. This level is concerned with changing your habits and systems, implementing a new routine at the gym, decluttering your desk for better workflow, developing a meditation practice, worshiping weekly, reading scripture daily. Most of the habits we build are associated with this level. The third and deepest level layer is changing your identity. This level is concerned with changing your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, your judgments about yourself and others. It is claiming in your very being who you are. It is looking in the eyes of every single human being and knowing they are beloved children of God too. Most of the beliefs, assumptions, and biases we hold are associated with this level. Outcomes are about what you get processes about are about what you do. Identity is about who you are. The risk is that we add these new things into our lives, prayer, worship, reading scripture, serving, 
but we never allow them to shape the very core of who we are. We do these things not to earn our way into heaven, not to earn our way into God's love or forgiveness, but because they shape us into the people we wish to become, deeply committed disciples. And scripture and tradition tell us that these are the things we do. I am a disciple. I am a person that serves. I am a person that reads scripture, prays, and worships. It's who I am. Years ago, Walker Rayleigh was a senior minister at First United Methodist Church in Dallas. That church was the church. It was the hottest property in Methodism. When you got there, you know you had made it. Walker went there when he was 33, and you know he was the real deal. Jim Moore was an executive associate pastor at Shreveport which was another great church. Jim had been second in charge under a senior pastor that had been struggling with dementia for years, really doing much of the work. Walker Rayleigh and Jim Moore were coming from very different places in their ministry when St. Luke's in Houston came open. Again, great church in one of the wealthiest areas of Houston. They had narrowed down their search to these two pastors who came in to interview for the job. Walker, the hottest thing up and the hottest up and comer Methodism, all the young pastors wanted to be him, showed up at the church for an interview. He just walked into the meeting, sat down and started making demands. The parsonage wasn't nice enough. His office, not nice enough. Salary, not big enough. If they wanted to get him, they were going to have to make some accommodations. And then they interviewed Jim Moore. Jim entered the building, and by the front door, there was a custodian buffing the floors. Jim said to him, you must really, really enjoy your work. You must be so proud of the work you do. I've never seen floors so shiny and beautiful. And as Jim went into the church, he smelled something coming out of the kitchen. So he walked into the kitchen, and, and there's a cook, and he said, you must really love your job. It smells wonderful. I can tell how proud you are of the work you do here. By the time Jim got to the interview, they had pretty much decided who was going to get the job. Who are we? We are deeply committed disciples. Serving others isn't something we do five times a day. It's who we are in every encounter, from the front doors with the custodian to the kitchen with the cook. And as a side note, because it needs to be said, it doesn't mean bowing down to everyone's demands. Being a servant doesn't mean being a doormat. In fact, the only way to stay compassionate, to stay out of resentment, is to relentlessly hold clear impenetrable boundaries, to be clear about what is okay and what is not okay. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me on international mission trips. Do you think as the world gets to the other side of the pandemic that we will discover places around the world that desperately need a helping hand, that will desperately need someone to come look them in the eye and will witness to their broken humanity, to witness to the world that we can do better? How many lives could we change if each and every one of us committed to going on an international mission trip once every five years? 
how would it change us as a congregation if every single one of us had stepped foot on foreign ground and allowed the people we encounter to bring us healing and hope? Here I am, Lord, send me. What if every single year you made the decision to go on a mission trip here in our country, whether it be to care and share for a day to pack food or Alamosa for a weekend or San Francisco for a week? Would the people you encountered find in you a glimpse of sacred hope? Would that shape us as a church? into a church that understands the need in our world because we have encountered it. Here I am, Lord, send me. What if every single day, five times a day, you found a way to serve others, pausing to hold a door, stopping to help someone in need? Ann Lance, who was the director of ESM, said that the one thing that the homeless people she encountered on the streets wanted more than anything was to be seen. What if every single time you stopped at a light and someone was standing there holding a sign, you looked at them, you saw their humanity? The Edge for years has been my main ministry area. Once a week, we gathered on Friday evenings around a dinner table. We ate and talked and we heard some personal stories and what we noticed after the first year is that on Friday night we had so many leftovers and they were gonna go going to go to waste and it was so sad and at the same time we have people just a block away hungry starving needing a meal there was a group at the edge that decided they wanted to match those two needs so they came to the congregation to First Methodist and asked a couple of our members here at the church if they would help by providing some utensils and some to-go boxes so we can pack up meals and take them out every single week. Jan Anderson and Karen Wool said, of course we will help. And they have been providing to-go containers for years. A group of the Edge pack up those meals and take them downtown. One evening, we, have a we had a couple of young adults handing out food with a group. One of them raised in this church almost her entire life, and another one not involved in church at all. So the group handing out food that night included these two young adults. It was at the, I was at the Edge building cleaning up after dinner, and for some reason that night, the group were ta was taking a really long time. They just weren't coming back. I was even a little worried, but finally, eventually they came back to the building. They had taken so long because as they handed out food, like they always did, they, they would stop and talk for a minute or two with the people they were giving food to. And this time they gave a woman in a wheelchair a meal, chatting with the woman for a moment. And that woman shared her story with them. She asked if they would pray with her. So these two young women, got on their knees in the middle of downtown Colorado Springs, held the hand of a person in need, listened as long as she needed to listen to, and prayed with her and for her. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. Thank you, Tiffany. That was good. That was very helpful and very clear. And, um, 
powerful stuff. It, it's taken me three weeks to kind of figure this out. And I don't know, I don't know how you'll receive this. I don't, I don't know if this will offend you or, or enlighten you or whatever. Um, we, we talked about when we start this, that there, there's some of your sermons that are more powerful read and some of your sermons that are more powerful preached. And in these last several weeks, as you've been doing these very practical sermons on, on habits and practices of the church, it struck me that, that these are the sermons that are better preached than they are. <laughs> Does that make sense? I totally was actually, I had thought that because, because I'm teaching right? There's, there's yeah. teaching in them, which I do wait. Like I was thinking the same thing actually last week. So maybe I'm a week ahead of you. Yeah, it must be. Well, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not that it wasn't a good sermon, not that you didn't read it well, but, but it lacks the poetry of some of the more theological sermons or, or the, you know, the more imaginative sermons. And so as a, as, as a, as, as a listener, I think it's more engaging to have you look at me and, and, and tell me these things than it is to have you read them to me. So I, for, for those of you who've listened to podcasts, go back and listen to a different, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic that, that uh, I mean, I, for me anyway, personally, the, the very practical stuff, I, I just assume you look me in the eye and tell me. Yeah, and I was thinking too, one of the things, uh, I think I was thinking this morning, I was as I was writing this sermon, um, it's interesting that I'm finding my range Right. So I went, I I went from like a month ago to this spoken word, sort of poetry, wild heart, um, nothing really re nothing, no reality or sermons or illustrations, but absolutely true and real to this week. Um, it's such a different, I mean, this sermon series is different, right? Like to practically just saying, here's, here's what habits are. Here's why. This isn't because some deep theological reason. It's because we're human beings and we can do things or we can become things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. I'm I'm glad you weren't offended. (laughs) I'm glad you're (laughs) thinking along the same lines that I was. But again, I wasn't bored or, you know, I I was engaged in the sermon, but I just thought that this reading this uh, is not as effective because it lacks the poetry and, and the theological wordsmithing that comes when, when you did the other thing. So the, the question that comes to mind when I, when I listen to the sermon is, is uh, do you really think that, that it's possible to change who we are by what we do? My name is Kent Ingram. And I'm the pastor at First United Methodist Church in Colorado Springs. And I get to work with Tiffany Keith. Tiffany, tell us who you are. And I'm Tiffany. So I actually, it's, it's one of, so this sermon's really long. And I know that it's probably about 20 minutes. And most of mine are about 15. Um, and one of the things that I, that I took out, and this isn't exactly speaking to what you're saying, um, but one of the paragraphs I took out just just due to length is a quote from the book when he says, consider you know, somebody quitting smoking and somebody offers them a cigarette and the first person says, no, thanks. Um, I'm quitting or I'm trying not to smoke. Um, and the second one says, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. 
and and what we're talking about is is the is the identity drives who we are as much as what we do drives who we are um so i am a disciple means i read scripture and reading scripture shapes me as a disciple does that make sense sure sure i mean it has it's sort of a reciprocal effect, although it's kind of a chicken and an egg, right? You know, at, at what point do, do you start? I mean, well, I started with knowing that Jesus loves me, which started, are. which started with showing up to church, which started with a dream, like yeah. with being open to, I mean, when does it start? I don't know. Preveniently, you, you preached a sermon <laughs> on that once. It starts before we know it and recognize it. I, I guess to dig a little deeper, the question I'm getting at is, is that for those for whom there is no um, profound impulse to serve, do you think that by engaging in acts of service, it will change their identity? And do you think they will discover in that who they really are or who they could be um, in a way that they, that they did? That is, does the doing it shape us into being someone else? I think not necessarily. I think I see people, have known people to serve. Um, in, in the beginning, almost everybody, you, you serve because it feels good. Um, and I've definitely known people that serve because it feels good to get, you know, for what they can get out of it and never really go beyond that, never allowing it to shift or change their identity. So I, I think I wish my answer was yes, that just because you serve your disciple. Um, but I don't think that's true. I think you can serve and it not really change you. So the next question then is, is it okay? if your Christian service is a habit and not an identity? What do you think? I don't, I'm thinking, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, again, we, you know, we, we, we've talked about this in, in other settings as well. You know, we talked about those who go to worship because they want to and those who go to worship because they know they're supposed to and which one is being more faithful. Um, I, there's a part of me that wants to say, that creating the habits of serving uh, still honors God and touches people's lives, even if I don't feel that that's my identity or who I am. Um, I mean, in, in a perfect world, I, I would want to, to be a servant. Um, but in an imperfect world, maybe it's enough to serve. I don't know. I just, I'm playing with this thought. I, I, I guess all behind that was that fascination of, of that description of the of, you know, outcomes and process and identity and, you know, those kind of things. I thought that was fascinating. And I love, I love that, those distinctions. Um, Wait, pause, really? Because that's not your thing. No, well, no, I mean, I, I, no, I, that was fine. I love the, I love the distinctions. I, I, I guess, you know, the question is, there's an implied value in each of those distinctions, that somehow a habit is not as important as a process, which is not as important as an identity. But if I'm the person that's hungry, 
I don't care whether you're feeding me out of habit <laughs> or you're, you know, out of out of a routine or that's because who you are. Does that make sense? I mean, that that's I mean, that, that's the place where my mind we we make these judgments on value. But if I if I'm the broken one in the world, I could care less the motivation. I want to know the yeah and. I mean, that just reminds me of near the end. I'm like, you know, if you, if, if we as a congregation served, you know, did, did a mission trip once a year, even if it's a local one, do you think we as a congregation would be changed and be a little bit different? Like, so it, should we, if, if the answer is no, if I don't believe that if every single one of us did a bigger mission trip once a year, if I didn't believe that that changed us, should we still do it? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should yeah. still do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, I so I think I I'm wondering though, for me, is it um, and what you're what I think you're kind of getting at too is does our identity matter? I mean, it's not. So we've already kind of set aside. It's not good works. It 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 is not doing it to earn. A different identity. It's not doing it to earn God's love. It's not doing it for these things, right? Right. But then, then if it's not to do that, should we do it? Well, yeah, because it's in response to God's love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I again, I, I think that we that we rightfully understand that in a perfect world. You know, discipleship is just born out of who we are. There's a there's a deep passion to be to show our gratitude to God and God's love for us through our acts of devotion and service, all these other kind of things. But I'm not sure everybody's there, and I, and I'm not sure that I mean I'm not there. I, you know, I, I'm not there. So I think I think there's also value in creating the habits of. Of, of Christian practices in, in, because in, in and of themselves, they're good and valuable. And in the hopes that, that the practices will change our identity. Yeah. Because like, if it doesn't change our identity, if we could guarantee, if I could look at you and say, I know that you'll read scripture five minutes a day for the next five years and, and you will never allow that to shift your identity. Do I still think you should still do it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we're agreeing. I think that's what we're saying. Um, and, and, but but the, the story of the two preachers, I, I, I'm not sure you ought to use their names, but you did. <laughs> and, Would you like me to take it out? I, uh, I don't care. Out. You know, somebody Googles Walker Rayleigh, they're going to get an earful <laughs> of, of stuff. I have his, I, you know, I have his signature if you'd like to see it someday. He was, I mean, he, should he was, I? Should, I can take it out. I can take their names out, or I could mention that it's probably what early eighties. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when Jim Moore probably somewhere in the eighties when Jim Moore went to to St. Luke's. Anyway, I, I yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. You have their signature. Uh, Walker Rayleigh and I served the exact same student appointment, and and I don't know. One day I was cleaning out the desk or something. I don't know. And there was a bulletin that he had signed. I have no idea why he had signed it. So I've kept that over the years somewhere. Um, so if, if, if you people do not know who he is, 
it, yeah, it's it's a tragedy. Uh, his his story is like, but in any case, I mean, story- we can we can pause there for a minute. I mean, because yeah. it really didn't end well, and I don't. I mean, I don't know that it speaks directly to the sermon, but it speaks the opposite direction of the sermon, right? Well, in the story that you told, you identified their character. Mm. Um, and and so, so the character of who these folks were um, became evident in their lives and, and uh, you know, Walker Rayleigh was accused of strangling his wife nearly to death. He was found not guilty, although it was sort of O.J. Simpson. Before there was O.J. Simpson, there's not, not really another good explanation of what happened to her. She was in a persistent vegetative state for, I don't know, 30 some odd years before she died. Um, Walker Rayleigh is still alive, living in California somewhere. I'm not sure what all he's doing. Uh, but anyway, it was it was a tragic it was a tragic story, and and, um, and 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 so the story that you tell, I think, gets to the question of character, which gets to the question of identity. So, um, but but if if Walker Rayleigh, do you do you think his life would have turned out different if he was more? It, like, could he have done all of these things and it never have changed his identity? Could he have worshipped and prayed and served and um, given and witnessed and done all of these things and never done them in response to a God that loved him and never changed? Hmm. Well, you would have to think he probably did do all those things, right? That, that they were at least to some degree, a part of his, I mean, a part of his profession. <laughs> I mean, whether you do it as a volunteer or not, I mean, you know, to, to do the job that he did, you th- those are activities you engage in as a part of your profession. Um, I, I suspect it's never as clean and neat as uh, we'd like it to be. I suspect that there was a tremendous amount of good in Walker Rayleigh. I think he touched lives in deep and profound ways. Um, he was a magnificent preacher. Um, and, and, you know, people loved to, to hear him and, 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 and be transformed by his message. So it's not pure evil or pure good. But boy, I tell you, the, the, the broken side won, it seems, it appears, from all the stuff I've read and seen and, and, and known of him over the years. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you can do that and not be transformed. I don't know, but but you hope you are. Yeah, I mean, there's a a willingness to be. Maybe that's the question of identity that I wrestle with in it a little bit. Is are you willing to? Not willing's not the right word, but maybe willing is right. Like, are you willing to allow these things to shape you? Are you yeah. willing to allow them to form you? Are you willing when it's hard to do it anyway? Yeah. Are you willing when you don't understand scripture to do it anyway? Are you willing to allow people to hold you accountable? I, and I, because something in me says, I think if we're doing those things and not just doing them to check the box, that they do shape and form us. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and even if they don't, 
um, that you're a vessel of God's grace. I mean, I think about the last story you told. I, I don't, I don't know one of the women at all. I know one of the young women a little bit. Um, I, I have no idea, no idea if if they were transformed by the, the the service that they did. But I do know that somebody's life was touched. Somebody, somebody received a, a, a touch of grace and a meal. And I'm sharing the story with others, right? Yeah, yeah. They will be wherever the gospel is preached. <laughs> yeah. So I guess maybe it's not always just to transform ourselves. I mean, maybe again, going back to the, you know, if we all did a mission trip once a year, the other side of that is, do you think they would find hope in us? There you go. Maybe that's a different question, better question. I mean, it's both, is it both and? Is it the paradox of, you know, wild heart of both changing the world and allowing the world to change us? Sure, sure. But I do think at the heart of the sermon is this um, invitation to, to, to risk ourselves in these practices and habits uh, in hopes that they might change who we are, who our identity is. And if they don't, what have we lost? We, you know, we've still touched lives. We've still read a little Bible. You know, we've still put ourselves in the way of grace and worship. So, so, so the, the downside isn't very, very much. So. Well, the downside is we gave up time, gave right? Up time. Uh, some willpower to do things that are uh, habits are really hard to start, yeah. right? Yeah. Even for the, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's amazing how many times in the last two weeks I've had conversations with people and I'm like, so like, how's the praying five times a day going? Oh my gosh, I forget all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sure. is the conversation um, because it takes, it takes thought and it takes some of that bandwidth that can feel so low, so, like, so not there. Yeah. So tell me, and I've had this conversation a few times about um, setting aside time to do it. You and I kind of talked about it around scripture, um, you know, setting aside five minutes a day to actually do it, like versus doing it to create a sermon or for work um, or almost across the board, the answer to prayer has been like, well, I'm always in prayer. So I don't stop five times a day and pray because I'm always praying. Um, is there value even once you're aware of people that pray all the time, like kind of like in that connected to God, having thoughts and, you know, thinking, um, is there value in stopping five times a day anyway? Is there value in stopping to read scripture in a different way every day anyway? Well, this, this is probably more cynical than I ought to be, but when somebody says they pray all the time, I wonder if they pray at all. I mean, if, if you define everything you do as prayer, um, are you really praying? So that, that's probably more cynical than, than it ought to be. But, but I, I do think there is value. I do think intentionality uh, plays its way into the habits, processes, and, and identity of who we are, rather than just sort of a um, redefining what we do in, in sort of spiritualized terms. Having said that, I think I think the service piece. I mean, you you can intentionally choose. Once a year, I'm going to go on a mission trip. You know, once a year, I'm going to do I'm going to do some big sort of thing. But the five acts of service a day 
seem to be way more dependent upon circumstances um, than praying or reading scripture or worshiping. Does that make sense? I, mean, I really think that, you know, I mean, I'm sitting in my study reading, working, writing, etc. cetera. Um, I have little opportunity for service. I guess I could type somebody an email, whatever, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, I think you have to be more intentional. I've, I actually don't think circumstances, I think you're right on, right? You have to be intentional. Well, I think, I think today. yeah, I think, I think that it, it requires you to be alert all day. It requires you to pay, to pay attention throughout the day for those opportunities to serve. Or you can pick up your phone and send five texts. Hey, I'm grateful for you today. I could, I could, I could do that. Okay, it's 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 eleven fifty three. This is my my my, my <laughs> service moment. What what am I going to do? You know, I suppose I suppose you could do that. I just it feels. I mean, God's always available. Scripture's always available. Um, you know, I'm more likely to to engage in acts of service when I'm around people to serve. But I mean, but what if your acts of service? Could be, you know, when you checked every time you check Facebook, saying something nice in response to something. I, I, I mean, uh, right? I, I mean, I think it's, I think in today's, I think if you were on a farm completely alone and disconnected, it would be hard. I mean, or plant a seed five times a day for a tree for somebody that comes along yeah. later. I don't know, but I think. I think we can now. I think we can, you know, say something kind. I mean, on the preaching uh, Facebook group we're on, you know, it is an act of kindness to listen to a sermon mm -hmm. and to respond with something positive we find in them, you know, um, or on Sunday mornings when, when I say, hey, in the middle of a sermon, you know, uh, tell me about your favorite scripture or whatever. Um, there is an act of kindness in people responding. You're right. You're right. I have to admit, though, I, I could never find the right emojis to post on Facebook my my favorite scripture without saying it. So I never did. But uh, well, what would you have posted if you could well, find them? You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm sure there's something I could have come up with. You're way more emoji efficient and, and <laughs> expert than I am. I, I use about three of them. So. So anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. We could find ways to serve. And I, I don't, my mind does not go to social media immediately to do that. Although I'm on it now because if you have almost a thousand friends, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, apparently. <laughs> Get up to 5,000. That's your goal. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, if I, if I just I... put the, clicked all the people they told me to click, I'd have a bunch. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, that wasn't a hard habit for you to add, right? I, I mean, you decided to get on Facebook one day and the next day we couldn't get you off. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't get on Facebook for a long time. It wasn't that I didn't think I would enjoy it. It was that I thought, you know, I've seen it be addictive. So I'm better now though. Yeah, but like, so if we can do that for, I mean, uh, you know, Facebook for five minutes a day, why can't we like five posts a day, you know, comment five times a day, read scripture five minutes a day, pray five times a day. I mean, if we prayed every time right before we looked at Facebook, that would be five times a day for everybody. I know almost. I just don't know what to do with all these beautiful women who want to be my friend who have no profiles. 
Yeah, and the and the hot guys that like you have no friends in common and their profile <laughs> is three hours old. So you should friend all of them. I should. You think there's nothing sketchy or, or wrong about that? Yeah. Gosh. Or you know. You know, you have your aunt. I have an aunt that, you know, friends me from a new account every three days. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But did you hear the government's giving out $100,000? All you have to do is give me some of your private information and you get that $100,000. So anyway, I learned how to block people now <laughs> because of you. So uh, we, we, we've digressed. Tiffany, tell me what the perfect <laughs> outcome would be of your sermon. What would you want people to do in response to this sermon? I think it's both and. I think serve. I think go on mission trips. I think, but I think the deeper thing in that is, is um, Adam Hamilton in this week's sermon says, you know, he, he goes to um, in both. I mean, the great commandment, I don't think Adam does this, but, um, you know, love God, love your neighbor like love your neighbor is one of those calls, right? It's not a suggestion. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other text he reads is the, the Micah text, you know, walk humbly with your God, you know, love justice, love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Um, he, he says we are created to love God and to love one another, mm. that it's not, this suggestion it's not this nice thing to do it is how we were created yeah. it is what we are created to do yeah. and for me if the people that listen to this listen to the sermon um give that a chance we are created to love one another and in that you will find not only, you know, not only good feelings, you will find your very identity. That's powerful. Who we are living with the grain of the universe. We discover who we are. I like it. Like maybe I should add that to my sermon, huh? Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit, I haven't preached it yet, so I can. It's a good what word. about you? What's, what's your reaction to the sermon? Well, pretty much. Response. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the perfect response would be to, to recognize the value of service as a Christian, as an act of Christian discipleship, and to commit ourselves to that practice um, and in hopes that it would transform us into a people whose character is, is a servant character. Yeah. My name is Kent Ingram. And I'm the pastor at First United Methodist Church in Colorado Springs. And I get to work with Tiffany Keith. Tiffany, tell us who you are. And I'm Tiffany. So I think we should send it back to the band. Love the band.